Good morning, Grace. Thanks for joining us online. It's good to be back with you, my family, and back in the D. Uh, I want to start this morning just by uh, saying thank you to a few people. First, I just want to say thank you to my coworkers. Uh, it really is a, uh, quite an amazing thing that I can come back from uh, being gone as long as I was gone and really have no fires, no uh, problems to solve. It just is a testament to what a great staff uh, we have here at Grace. And so to my coworkers, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Norflett, Pastor uh, Kevin, to Dr. Stacy Lemansky. Thank you for bringing the word the last few weeks and doing it with such giftedness and such power. Uh, I am so grateful that you are part of the uh, Grace family and grateful that you stepped in and did that. And then I also just want to say thank you uh, to you, to Grace, uh, for making uh, space for Meg and I to get away every year uh, to rest, to recharge, and to get ready for another ministry season. It's just a gift, and we know it's a gift, and we don't take that for granted. So thank you, Grace, for uh, affording us the ability to step back and rest and, and do what we need to do. You know, I pray for the church often. I thank God for uh, Grace. I thank God for these people. And when I pray for you, I often pray that God would just move in your life in a powerful way. Uh, I pray that you would grow more and more in love with God. And as you grow in love with God, that you would also grow in your capacity to love people. Uh, I pray that we as a church would be marked by our ability to love people. And before I jump into the message, uh, which we'll talk, talk a little bit about this idea of loving people, uh, I want to just share uh, an exciting announcement with you next Sunday. So next Sunday, we are going to have a picnic in the parking lot, a tailgate, if you will, that'll happen right after the service. So we'll uh, start somewhere around 1130. And the way this will work is we're just asking people to bring uh, their own drinks, bring their own food, bring a grill if you want, whatever you would normally do to, to tailgate or to, to do a picnic, bring that stuff along. And then as we break down from the service, we're just going to stay in the parking lot and have a party, a tailgate party, if you will. And so here's the deal. No one knows this. My staff is going to be like, oh, great, here we go. But uh, I have decided I am going to give a prize to the best tailgater, the best picnicker. So you decide, I don't even know what the ground rules are because I'm going to make them up as I go along, but you come, you come ready to party with us and I will have a prize for who I think is the best. It might be the best food, but it might be the best setup, but let's just have some fun uh, and, and just enjoy it. So I encourage you to come uh, right around 1130, but remember we have the, the live service happening in the parking lot at 10 o'clock. If you want to come to that and stay, that's great. If you're still more comfortable with the online and you just want to show up for the picnic part, uh, that will be begin happening a little bit before 1130 and just go for a little while. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like for us to do good using the phrase that's in the scripture we're going to read, <clears throat> what it looks like to do good and have an impact for Jesus in really difficult and divided times. I know some of you uh, will, take about the, will, will take up this challenge uh, as I go through it. And I also know that some of you are going to be upset by what I'm about to say. Uh, I assure you uh, that what I'm sharing is straight from the scriptures. And it, as much as it may uh, push us, as much as it may cause us to uh, uh, bristle a little bit, it's what we need to do to be obedient to God. So grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter. That's right, 1 Peter chapter 3, a couple minutes. I'm going to read through verses 8 through 12. And some of you are already wondering, 
uh, why we're in First Peter when we're in a series called uh, Summer in the Psalms. Uh, but I haven't forgotten that. But in this particular passage, Peter is quoting a section of Psalm 34. And I'm going to use 1 Peter's words to help us to understand what David is saying in Psalm 34, what Psalm 34 is all about. So while you're looking for 1 Peter, what I want to do is just give you a little bit of context for this letter that Peter is writing. He's writing to Jesus followers. So in essence, he's even writing to you and I. And the, the Jesus follower that he's writing to in that day were, the, were scattered all about the Roman Empire. They're living under this extreme oppression, right? They're living under this, this tyranny, this persecution. They're living under uh, all of this. And, and for many of them, they're living in their own country, but they're treated as second-class citizens. And Peter is writing a letter to those followers of Jesus who are oppressed, who are persecuted. And he's telling them, this is how you are to respond to authority. And this is how you are to respond to one another. The letter is instructional. It's instructional for them. It's instructional for us how to have peace, how to have hope, how to navigate difficult circumstances. It's a letter that's totally relevant for us in the current situation that we're in. As a matter of fact, my homework assignment for you is that over the next couple of days that you would go back and read 1 Peter a couple of times. And just as you read it, it's only five chapters. You can read it relatively quick, quickly. Just allow what Peter is writing to sink in. Allow it to challenge you. I guarantee if you read it that way, it will challenge you. But just read through it. But Peter starts by reminding his reader that if they are a follower of Jesus, if they have Jesus, he actually uses the word that they're born again. And he's saying, regardless of your circumstances, because you have Jesus, you can have hope. As we said throughout this series, the summer in the Psalms, we have the opportunity to have hope regardless of our circumstances. And here Peter is reiterating that we have hope. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we have God, we have hope. And we need to put our hope in God, not in, in political candidates, not in masks or not having masks, not in whether or not school's going to open or not going to open, not in our jobs, but we need to hope in God. And Peter also reminds them that they're called to be holy. What does that mean? What does it mean to be holy? Well, it means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means, in this case, holy means not to follow the patterns of the world, but it means to, to follow God's way, to do things God's way. He actually says, be holy as God is holy. And he reminds us as followers of Jesus that if we want to be holy people, if we follow Jesus, that we also have this rock. So he talks about Jesus being the rock, Jesus being our foundation, meaning that we can lean in him, that we have this solid foundation. When everything else is shaking, we have the rock, we have Jesus. And then Peter begins to shift gears and he begins to unpack what it looks like for the people of Jesus, the Jesus followers, to actually be set apart, to be different, to be holy, if you will. He begins to unpack what it really looks like to relate to and to respond to all of the people around them. And his point is how we respond to people around us is what sets us apart. How we respond to, to all of the people around us is what has the ability to set us apart from the crowd. So Peter says some pretty outrageous things in this letter. He actually says, slaves, obey your masters. He says, wives, 
Be subject to your husbands. And Peter says, honor everyone, even the emperor, which if we know the culture, if we know the history of the Roman occupation, this is an outrageous statement to honor the emperor. And it's critical before I go any further that we step back for a minute and and explain something that I think is an often misconstrued way of of twisting the Bible. It's, It's critical to say this and important for us to understand. When the Bible says, honor the emperor, it is not saying that the Roman occupation was a good thing. It's not even saying that the emperor is a good person. It's saying the emperor is in a place of authority and you need to honor him. And here's what I want you to hear. In the same way, when the Bible says slaves obey your master, it is in no way, the Bible is in no way condoning slavery. It's not saying that slavery is a good thing. The deal is the Bible is written to a specific group of people at a specific time who were living in a particular social structure and they were living under specific systems and rules of law. And it's written to address their real life situation. And the reality is there were slaves that were part of the early church. And so that had to be spoken to. They were living under Roman occupation. They were living under slavery. And Peter is writing them to help them to understand how to submit and how to honor every human institution, every person, every place to honor the authority that's around them. Even the emperor, even the governors. Verse 17 actually says in in this passage that we are to honor everyone including those in authority. That means teachers. That means, that's right, the president. That means our governor. It means police officers. It means mom. It means dad. So the major difference here is, or the major difference that this could make in our lives and in the life of the church is if we could just start right here. What does it look like for us to honor everyone? Maybe we need to start with just a definition of honor. Honor, it means to regard or treat someone with respect. It means to admire someone, to show admiration for someone in a public way. So when I speak of somebody and, and, and honor them, and when I, when I say something good about somebody to somebody else, I am showing honor to them, to celebrate and appreciate someone. You and I are commanded in the scriptures to honor Trump. We are commanded in the scriptures to honor Obama or Governor Whitmer or Senator Biden for that matter. You don't have to vote for them. You don't have to agree with their ideology or or support their, 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 their positions, but you are called to admire them. You're called to appreciate their service. And we're living in this culture that has lost all sense of honor and respect. We haven't even gotten to the text that I want to share this week, and I've already managed to uh, make most of you mad at me, but there's so much in here that we could learn. Here's a, a rule of thumb that will help many of you to sleep better and to have less anxiety. How many of you want to sleep better and have less anxiety? I'm not sure anyone would say, oh, I'd like to sleep less and I'd like to be more anxious in my life, but here's a way to sleep better and have less anxiety. Honor everyone, including your leaders, and get this, don't listen to or read anyone who dishonors others. Honor everyone, don't listen to, don't read anyone 
who dishonors others. If you live by this rule of honor, it means that almost all mainstream political commentary will be off limits. Actually, it means most mainstream media will be off limits. Toxic conversations with your friends will be off limits. Peter says, 1 Peter, honor everyone. And just so you know, the Greek word that's translated everyone, it actually means, that's right, everyone. Peter writes all of this as a way of setting up and leading into our, our passage for today, starting in verse 8. Hopefully your Bibles are still open. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12, Peter writes, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous." and his ears are upon their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Lord, I just ask in these next couple minutes that you would help this, this beautiful picture of how we are to live our lives, to come to life, that we would be challenged, each and every one of us, to apply the words of 1 Peter in our lives, that we would be different than the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were reading along in your own Bible or if you were following along on the screen as I read that, you might have noticed that verses 10 through 12 are in quotation marks. These are in quotation marks because Peter is quoting Psalm 34. Peter is using this psalm to tell us what it looks like to do good, what it looks like to, to live our lives in a way that we do good in a divided, uh, contemptuous time. I don't need to remind you, but we are about to enter into a nasty, hate-filled, slanderous, evil election season. And if we, the church, is not in, are not intentional, we will get sucked into all of that. We will be divided and we will be devoured. And 1 Peter is actually the antidote to help us, to guide us, and to guard us from being divided. So Peter writes, finally, after all that I've just said, after all that, that I've just explained, Peter is saying, finally, all of you, meaning none of us get a pass, finally, all of you have unity of mind, be sympathetic, show brotherly love, have a tender heart, and be humble. Let me just unpack all five of those. Have unity of mind. Unity of mind doesn't mean that we agree on everything. And this unity of mind that's talked about in the scripture, it's only made possible when we make Jesus our primary identity marker, not our skin color, not our gender, not our sexual orientation, not our social standing, not even our favorite college football team. We have all kinds of identity markers in our lives. But what matters most is that we are one in Christ, that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ himself. This, this is the whole idea of Galatians 3. When Galatians 3 there says there's neither no Jew nor Greek, there's no, no slave nor free, there's no male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that those days, people didn't stop being Jews or Greeks. They didn't stop being male or female. 
The point is that they took those identity markers and they, they brought them down and then they placed their identity in Christ above all of them. They were covered as Christ followers. We will never have unity until we get this identity marker thing down, until we learn to put Jesus first, to be brothers and sisters united and one in Christ. So we have to have unity of mind and we have to be sympathetic. This means be compassionate to one another. Assume the best of each other. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a past. We all have hurts. We all have pains. We all act out of our wounding, but we need to show one another grace. Don't make assumptions about people. Rather, love them. Extend grace to them. Don't assign motives to people as if you know why people do what they do. Be sympathetic even to your political leaders. Show brotherly love. This means to move towards others and, and to, in a way to desire to know them, to know what they feel, to know what they think, to serve them. It says be tender-hearted. This one doesn't need much explanation, but, but, it, but it could use a little more application to be tender, to be careful in your dealings with people, be compassionate, be merciful. And then the fifth one is to be humble. Philippians says, do not think too highly of yourself, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. And I think this fifth one, this, this idea of humility is the key to unlocking the other four. If you are humble, if you think of yourself less and you think of others more, you will naturally be more sympathetic. You will naturally be more kind and compassionate and show brotherly love and be tenderhearted. It all starts with humility. These are the fruits, if you will, of humility. And humility is also the bedrock for honor. Let me just step back for a minute. Let's do a little bit of soul work here. We talked about six different threads, if you will, six different things. We talked about honor. We talked about unity, sympathy, brotherly love, tenderhearted, and humility. And what I want to ask you is, is who comes to mind? What person comes to mind? What group of people might even come to mind that it is most challenging for you to apply these principles over? Who do you struggle the most to honor, to have a tender heart towards, to respect? You don't need to say it out loud. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to say it out loud. I just want you to think about it. And if you already know, that's great. If you don't, I, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to show you and then I would encourage you to take a few seconds, just quietly pray a, a prayer of confession. Tell God that you are committed to honoring and to loving that person, that you wanted to show you how to love and honor those people, whoever he brought to mind. Look, I, I know, church, I know that this is hard stuff. And the question it needs to be asked is why would we do that? Well, for one reason is it's what it means to be obedient to the scriptures. But there's something really exciting in this passage. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, it says these words. It says, whoever desires to love life, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Now, maybe it goes without saying, but who doesn't want to love life? Who doesn't want to see good days? I know I do. And then it says, if you want those, then keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. It says the eyes 
of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When reading verses 10 through 12, I think it's easy for us to become self-deceived. I think sometimes we give ourselves way too much credit. We, we, we don't see these words. We don't see our words. We don't see our attitudes. We don't see our disrespect of authority as evil. We read these words in, in, in the Psalms and in 1 Peter, and we say to ourselves, well, we're okay because we're not, we're not evil. But if you take these words and you put them in the context of this letter, it gets a little more convicting. Because what Peter is saying is anytime you lack honor towards another person, it's evil. Anytime you talk about someone behind their back, it's, it's evil. Anytime your words are used to tear down or to lessen somebody else, it's evil. Anytime it's about tearing down instead of building up, it's, it's evil. If you call the current governor a witch, which I have heard and I have read on Facebook, it's evil. Calling the current president pejorative names or the past president pejorative names, it's evil. When you label a black person who has been murdered, a person of poor character, someone who had a seedy past, it's evil. It lacks compassion. It lacks sympathy. It lacks love. If you walk away from your brothers and sisters because they vote differently than you, and maybe even you label them a racist or a baby killer because they voted for the other person. It's evil. And church, I just want to say we can do better. Not only can we do better, but we have to do better. If you look at this passage, there is a, a hard warning and it says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And I don't know about you, but I don't want the face of the Lord against me. I don't want the face of the Lord against our church. We can do better. We can grow in our capacity to love God and love people. We can, and we are called to honor everyone. Look, this doesn't mean we have to agree. As a matter of fact, it's impossible for us to agree on everything, but we can disagree and we can honor everyone. What I want to do is just give you four steps. Four steps that you can start applying today that will help you to learn to disagree, but to still honor everyone. First one, don't get sucked in. Don't get played by the media. The media wants to get you mad. They want to get you upset because they know that's what's going to bring you back. Fear and anger, they sell. And if you are not intentional, you will literally be feeding on fear. You'll be feeding on anger and it will stir things inside of you. Do not listen to or read anything that dishonors other people. If you are in a conversation with a friend or, or a coworker and they begin to dishonor other people, just stop them and say, I am trying to learn to honor everyone. I don't want to have this conversation. Our passage says, do not repay evil for evil, reviling with reviling, but on the contrary, Bless, don't reciprocate. Even if, even if what's going on is directed directly towards you, don't reciprocate it, but it rather bless people. I love that. Don't repay evil for evil, but bless. So don't get sucked in and, and truly seek to understand. Seek to understand why the person feels the way they feel. Why do they vote the way they vote? 
What's their background? What's their story? What's shaped their worldview? There is something out there called Miles Law. It was coined in the Truman era. And what Miles Law says is where you stand determines is determined by where you sit. Where you stand is determined by where you sit. That means we're, we're all shaped by culture that we grew up in. We're all shaped by the family that we're raised in. We're all shaped by the education we receive, by the music we listen to. We're all shaped and influenced by where we spend our time, where we sit. And seeking to understand and have compassion requires understanding and seeing where others sit. And sometimes we have to be willing to get out of our own places, our own normal places of sitting and sit in new places, gain more understanding. I think this is the power of the mosaic that we have here at Grace. If you are in a small group, especially a diverse small group, you have an opportunity to begin to have conversations you've never had, to talk about life experiences that you never really understand. You gain new perspective, you gain new understanding. You find yourself sitting and new places and having new revelations. So don't get sucked in, truly seek to understand and use your words to build up and to bless. Here's a rule of behavior. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for building up. Our tongue is the most powerful organ in our body. It can build up and it can destroy. James says it can start a forest fire. Words are powerful. We need to use them with great wisdom and with extreme caution. Learn to stop and think before you speak. Ask yourself, is what I'm about to say building up or is it tearing down? Is it helping or is it hurtful? Our interactions, our interactions with one another, whether they're face-to-face or they're virtual, they are never neutral. They are positive or they're negative. They build up or they tear down. They're good or they are evil. Colossians 4 is let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Seasoned with salt, meaning that it's used to preserve, it's used to protect. Stop, think. Then and only then do we speak. Part of stopping and thinking is also deciding on timing. Is this the right time for me to say what needs to be said? also need to think about the medium that you're speaking through. The question is, is Facebook the right medium to debate your political views? And the answer is, of course not. It's not. And and for the love of God, let's stop doing that. It's damaging the reputation of Christians. Don't get sucked in. Truly seek to understand. Use your words to build and to bless and treat others as the Lord has treated you. Be gracious. Be merciful. Be forgiving, be patient. In chapter 4 of 1 Peter, he writes these words. He says, each of you has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God has given his grace to you, and we are to be stewards of that grace. Here at Grace, we have a mission statement. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. Let's live on mission. Let's love the way Jesus loved. Let's speak to others the way Jesus spoke to others. Let's honor people the way Jesus honored people. As we learn to love God and love people, to model this culture of honor, we will shine like stars in the heaven. 
Again, the scriptures say, if we do everything without grumbling, complaining, careful with our words, without tearing others down, if we learn to respect and value everyone, including our leaders, we will shine like stars in the heaven in a crooked and twisted world. One more important observation before I wrap this up. What I'm talking about is not just about changing our speech. It's about changing our very hearts. The only way we really can change our speech is to have a heart transformation. I find more often than I care to admit that I need often to just confess my bitterness and ask God to change my heart. When I discover I am dishonoring someone, it reveals a darkness in my own soul. My words reveal what's in my heart. And so I go back to God and I say, God, forgive me. Change my heart. I ask God to give me a greater capacity to love him and a greater capacity to love people. Help me to love the person who I find so hard to love right now. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. As a follower of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we have a chance to make a lasting legacy, to make an eternal impact. We need to stand apart from the crowd. We need to model this higher calling. Let's advance the kingdom of God by having a culture of honor. I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different, even if you're at home watching this. And uh, I just, I'm just going to ask you to do it. If you are willing to commit to being on a journey of honor, on a journey of honoring everyone, and I mean everyone, I want you to just stand up. Don't stand unless you're serious about that, but just stand and allow me to pray over you. Lord, I just pray that we as a church would understand what it means to have a culture of honor, to honor everyone, even our political leaders. I pray that as we move into this election season, that we would be united, even when we see things differently, when we vote differently, that we would hold our unity in Christ above our political convictions. Lord, that we would be one as you and the Father are one. And by this, the world would know who you are and how much you love. Lord, help us to have a culture of honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as the team prayed for you this week, uh, one of the things they heard is that God wants to give you peace and clarity in whatever confusion you are experiencing. Uh, we know that there's some people that have experienced economic loss because of the pandemic, and we would love to pray for you. There was a sense that someone has some right leg pain, um, and that we would love to play, pray over that. <clears throat> and the last thing that they heard was that we need to keep on keeping on. We need to persevere and keep going, that there is a blessing for those who endure to the end. Thank you for being a part of this. There's a number on your screen. You can call that number and somebody will be there to pray for you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.